You're listening to Just One Glass, episode 16, Creating Comfort Amid the Discomfort. Welcome to Just One Glass, a podcast for high-achieving type A millennial moms who want to explore their relationship with alcohol without judgment and without labels. I'm your host, Michelle Kapler. I'm a life coach, a successful entrepreneur multiple times over, a mother, and most importantly, a fellow human. When I took control of my negative patterns with alcohol, my entire life changed for the better. And I wholeheartedly believe that you can find the same freedom in your own life. So whether you're just getting curious about your drinking, or you're ready to dive deep, I've got you. Hi, friend. Thanks for being here with me this week. It's hard to believe that 2021 is almost over. The holiday season is upon us, and it's looking far more normal than it did last year, which means we're traveling again, we're seeing family again, shopping in malls, engaging in the hustle and bustle again, and all of those familiar sensations of stress, worry, overwhelm, and other things that come up around the holidays may be a little more back to normal this year for you too. Did you catch my episode with my colleague and friend Carly Thornock last week? Carly is a life coach too, and a world-renowned interior designer. She helps her clients create a loving and awesome home with little stress and no drama. And she and I discussed creating holiday coziness in our homes without drinking. It was an amazing conversation, and I highly recommend checking it out. I'll put the link in the show notes so you can find it easily if you want. So in the spirit of creating comfort, I wanted to take an entire episode to expand on that a little bit. But before I dive into that, I wanted to ask you, are you planning to do dry January this year? Or next year, I should say, dry January for 2022. If you're not familiar with dry January, it's something that a lot of people do where they take a break from drinking for the month of January. They don't drink at all in an effort to reset themselves after the holiday craziness and overindulgence. I know all about dry January. I think I've done it five times, five years in a row. And what I want to tell you is that in terms of creating long-term sustainable change, it really doesn't work. And that is what next week's podcast episode is all about. I'm going to get into all of the reasons why it doesn't work. But for today, I want to tell you that I'm going to be hosting my own version of Dry January for 2022 called Dry January 2.0. In this 31-day challenge, I'm going to take you through a month-long break from drinking, but I'm actually going to be teaching you how to do it in a way that results in creating lasting change and getting control of your drinking. So this is going to be not just saying no for 30 days and then going right back to where you started. This is going to be different. I'm going to give you all the details in next week's episode, but if you want to sign up now, if you're keen, you can click the link in the show notes to register. The challenge includes so much goodness, including weekly group coaching calls with me, lots of support and instruction, lots of access to me within our private Facebook group, some great prizes and things to win, and of course, a chance to finally get control of your drinking. So if you want to sign up now, you can just click in the show notes or you can head over to michellecoppler.com forward slash DJ 2022. So creating comfort. In episode 13 that I spoke of earlier, I answered some of your most common listener questions. And one that comes up frequently is the idea of not knowing how to relax without a drink. When I answered that question in the episode, we explored the idea of what it actually means to, quote, relax. 
I talked about how when most people say they want to relax with a drink, it isn't actually relaxation that they're looking for. What they're looking for is relief or escape. They're looking to have a drink so they can solve for whatever feeling of discomfort they're experiencing. And this could be anxiety, sadness, anger, irritation, overwhelm, nervousness, annoyance, boredom, whatever it may be. They're looking for that drink so they can get relief from the discomfort they're feeling. And the result that they end up creating from seeking that relief is what they call relaxing. But when I talked about this in episode 13, the listener Q&A, I proposed the idea of replacing the word relax with the word escape and see how it sits with us. If we were looking at relaxing with a drink as escaping with a drink instead, it allows us to inspect this in a bit of a different light. And this inquiry always leads me to the part of the conversation where we talk about the root of doing this work, the key to having freedom from our habits with alcohol, the way to be able to create the exact relationship you want to have with your drinking is to learn to feel your uncomfortable feelings. And we do this by learning the skill of what we call allowing feelings. And this could mean that we're simply allowing an urge to drink to be there. And this is done without resistance, without white knuckling. We just let our discomfort be there without having to solve for it and without assuming that something's gone wrong. It's kind of akin to the acceptance of the inevitable discomfort of being in the dentist chair and waiting for the injection of pain medication before the procedure. Of course, it sucks and it hurts, but it doesn't mean that anything has gone wrong just because it's happening. It's like that with our spectrum of uncomfortable human emotions. Nothing has gone wrong because we're experiencing them. And by being willing to allow them, we can begin to change our brains. We can begin to change the habits that we have formed about needing to solve for those negative emotions or buffer around them. We can begin to practice not needing a drink in order to relax or escape. And this is all done through feeling uncomfortable. This is done by not always choosing the behaviors that give us the immediate rush of dopamine to solve for the negative emotion. The dopamine being a reward from our brain when we continue a habit of ingesting or participating in something that our brain thinks we need for our survival. When we instead allow our discomfort to be there, our brain actually rewires itself. And it's hard work to do this. It's sometimes tedious. It's sometimes painful, which is worth doing in the long term. But my question for today's episode is, can we still do this work and not always be totally leaning into that discomfort? That's what I want to talk about today. So if your drinking habit is a result of your brain being wired to seek comfort and avoid pain, and we still seek out comfort when we're feeling emotional discomfort on purpose, can we do that? And I think the answer is yes. So today, I want to talk about some ways that we can cultivate small acts of self-care to create comfort, but not get in the way of doing this work. It's totally possible. So what I first want to say is that we're not looking for habit replacement here. We aren't looking to add a new substance or behavior to the equation in order to solve for the lack of the other one. We're still thinking about doing this work in the context of allowing discomfort to be there. We will still experience urges for alcohol and allow them to be in our bodies. We will not be looking to escape or eliminate our emotional turmoil in this process. We know it will be here and that nothing's gone wrong. We're simply going to look to add something in the interest of self-care and support. There's a difference between feeling an urge for a glass of Merlot at the end of a stressful day but solving for that urge by eating three cupcakes so we don't have to feel our feelings rather than maybe relaxing with a cup of hot herbal tea as we reflect on what we're feeling in our bodies and our minds, or maybe even doing some writing about it. 
very different. It's not so much about the actions themselves, but more about the way we're thinking about it. It's about our intentions behind them. It's about the thoughts that create our feelings, which ultimately drive the actions that we take. So with this in mind, I want to give you some ideas to lean into as you do this work to provide some comfort and support to yourself. So the first one that I want to talk about is warmth. This one's been huge for me on my journey. And I talked about it in detail during my interview with Carly last week. So you want to check that out if this piques your interest. If you think about it from an evolutionary perspective, it makes sense that our brains would want to give us a reward, a pleasurable rush of brain chemicals, if we find and embrace sources of warmth. Back when we were a nomadic society and we were living off the land, finding warmth and shelter or fire could literally mean the difference between life and death. So in order to encourage humans to continually seek these things out, our brains evolved to make it pleasurable to do so. So some examples of ways that I embrace warmth in my own modern life are things like taking hot showers, letting the water run over my body. I love a good hot shower to bring comfort to my life. I can't hear anything else that's going on in my house. I can't be on my phone. All I can do is pay attention to the warmth and sensations on my body. I used to take hot showers often when my kids were babies. It was my little 15-minute escape where I just didn't have to hold anyone or feed anyone or respond to an email or listen to crying. It was just me, naked, with the warmth and comfort. Another example is to literally be around fire. This could be candles or your gas fireplace. For me, I find it supremely comforting to unwind after I put the kids to bed by throwing a few logs into our wood-burning stove and watching it for a bit. My husband actually calls it caveman TV. I sit right up close to the stove so I can feel the warmth on my body. It's so relaxing and my brain just floods my body with happy feel-good neurotransmitters. If I happen to be having a stressful day or maybe missing that glass of wine at the end of the stressful day, I often lean into warmth to find comfort. It's not that I'm trying to make the urge for the wine go away or that I'm telling myself that it shouldn't be there or that I need to solve for it. I'm just simply engaging in practices and rituals that bring me comfort, even if I'm still feeling the urge. So the next thing that I want to talk about is sleep. I did a whole episode on alcohol and sleep. And if you're somebody who struggles with sleep habits or sleep itself, I highly recommend listening to it. I'll put it in the show notes and it's episode eight. What I want to say about sleep is that it's essential and foundational to doing this work. According to the research for optimal physical and cognitive function to occur, humans need seven to nine hours of good quality sleep every night. When we chronically get less than that, our physical bodies and our minds begin to deteriorate. The nervous system from both a physical and emotional perspective simply does not function as well when we were underslept. So a really important practice to lean into while you're doing this work is to embrace the basic foundational practice of prioritizing sleep. And I know that if you're a chronic undersleeper, it can seem like a luxury or at least less than necessary, but I can say with confidence, in fact, there's research to support this, that people who constantly don't get enough sleep don't feel their tiredness. Their level of function and mental state simply become their lower baseline. And they have no idea how much better they could feel by actually getting that seven to nine hours. If this is you, I want to challenge you to try it for 30 days and see how you feel. You might just experience massive shifts in your ability to process things, to handle your stress, to be productive, to regulate your emotions, to be self-aware. It's worthwhile doing that experiment, so I highly encourage that. 
The next thing I want to talk about is exercise and movement. For me, this was something that I really lean into when I first stopped drinking completely. I would get up at 5.30 a.m. every morning before anybody else in my house was up, which was totally fine because I wasn't hungover. And I would go for a gentle bike ride around the lake near my house. I wasn't exercising to break a sweat or burn calories or get fit. I would just get on my comfy bike and take deep breaths and look at the gorgeous sunrise. And sometimes I would take photos of it. And I would always make sure that I take a moment to acknowledge how good I felt, to remind myself that the ability to get up and take in all the beauty and time for myself was the result of making the choice not to drink the night before. And so was my ability to feel amazing while I was doing it. Now, your version of movement might look very different. It doesn't have to be a whole big thing that requires a helmet or a set of gym clothes or even leaving the house. Simply taking 10 to 15 minutes to intentionally move your body has been shown in research to be supportive to your physical and mental health. We get all sorts of delicious feel-good neurochemicals when we move our bodies. And this could mean going for a walk in your neighborhood, doing 10 minutes of stretching, getting out into nature in some way. Now I live on a country property with many acres of forest and getting out amongst the trees, especially in the winter, is so refreshing and comforting to me. Now, I want to make mention that this type of practice is not the same as using exercises to buffer through uncomfortable emotions. You can buffer with exercise just as much as you can buffer with wine or social media or Netflix or gossip or sex or porn. We aren't moving our bodies to try to get rid of the negative emotions we are experiencing, We are simply looking to support our bodies in a healthful way while simultaneously accepting the entire spectrum of emotions that we inevitably feel as humans. And the way you know the difference is just to get honest with yourself about what you're thinking about it. And I'll give you an example of this. Scenario one, me on my bike, taking it easy, appreciating the beauty, creating feelings of gratitude. That's coming from a supportive place. Whereas scenario two, which might be a high intensity spin class where we're speaking to ourselves in a punishing way the whole time, which sounds something like, there's something wrong with you. This is what you get for letting yourself go with the bottle of wine last night. Just push through the pain, just get through it. This will create feelings of resistance. It's more like that white knuckling energy that I talk about that we want to be aware of if we're coming from that place. So just notice and just notice the difference. Next, I want to talk about music. For me, music is a way for me to directly connect with my emotions. It cuts through the thoughts and gets right into what I'm feeling, or it can inspire new feelings entirely. And I found that when I first began doing this work, if I was having a particularly hard time feeling my feelings or getting in touch with what I was feeling, I would put on some music to help me get there. And it was usually grief and sadness at the root of all of it for me. And I, to be able to put something on and then contemplate the way my body responded to that auditory stimulus really helped me stay out of my head and into the emotion of all of it. Conversely, if I'm pushing an edge with anxiety or frustration or feeling overstimulated, I can put on something soothing or grounding, and it doesn't magically take away the anxiety or frustration or overwhelm, but it's an action I can take to support myself in the moment to get out of my own head and into my body. And the last thing I want to talk about is affection and connection. Oftentimes, as people who are socialized as women, especially those of us who are parents, We've been conditioned to put everyone's needs before our own. 
And this might mean that we don't ask for or choose to give ourselves the gift of affection and connection. Often it's the last priority on the list. Having affectionate physical contact with others has been shown in research to be a highly effective way to get a release of feel-good brain chemicals. And this makes sense. Humans have always been oriented toward being in tribes and communities. And in our modern world, especially with the fast-paced advancements of technology, we've lost touch with the basic necessities of simple contact with others. I love a good snuggle with my kids or a nice long hug with my husband. It's a great pick-me-up. And at the same time, it doesn't have to be other humans. My cat is relentlessly, aggressively, consistently up for a snuggle session, which feels good for both me and him. And then there's the act of being affectionate and connecting with yourself. How can you connect with your own body in a way that feels good? It could be wearing clothes that feel comfortable and luxurious, like my many pairs of delicious wool socks that feel so cozy in the winter. It could be engaging in self-pleasure or masturbation. It could be applying a product that you love to your own skin. I love a good coconut oil mask on my hair and a self-scalp massage. So good. So those are a few that I've personally leaned into as I'm doing this work, but there are so many other possibilities. There are probably hundreds of things that would resonate for others, and it would be worthwhile to question what might resonate for you personally. What do you think those things are? Could you make a list of three or five? Which one of those things might you be able to start implementing today? And what I want to say lastly, for all of my high achieving perfectionist friends, I see you. I am one of you. You do not have to do all of these things. You do not have to do all of them at once. And you do not have to do them perfectly. Think of it like an experiment. We're just going to try some stuff and see what works. You might discover that you hate candles or want to crawl out of your skin when you're doing a yoga class, and that's totally okay, and you will find what works for you. How does this episode sit with you? What do you think of the idea of leaning into comfort while you're also accepting emotional discomfort? I want to hear from you. Come on over and find me on Instagram at Michelle Kapler and send me a note. And if you're ready to take this work deeper and you want to create your ideal relationship with your drinking, let's get on a consultation call. Head over to the show notes or to michellecapler.com to book your free 60-minute video call. And you can tell me all about you. And then I'll tell you all about how it works and what we do when you have me as your coach. That's going to be it for me this week. I'll be back next week with another episode. Until then, you've got this, my friend. <laughs>